So this is the first episode of Story of an Entrepreneur, uh, and our first guest is Michael Ahrens. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael? Hey guys, yeah, um, thanks for having me on, and um, just a little bit more about my background, both personally and professionally. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, and uh, was you know born and, and raised in the Midwest, and went to a Jesuit high school, which um, was kind of an important part of my story as to why I ended up in Cincinnati. Um, it led me to go to Jesuit University and study entrepreneurship and management where, um, you know, if I, I ended up starting my first startup, Clean Earth Rovers, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about um, throughout this, but then also played uh, college hockey and had, you know, quite a lot of fun doing so. So, um, yeah, you know, really passionate about hockey, uh, really passionate about sustainability and clean tech and all types of different stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Clean Earth Rovers? Yeah, so Clean Earth Rovers was something that um, I had the idea for back in 2017 that uh, essentially was intended to go and tackle plastic pollution in our oceans. And the idea was to do this at a massive scale by sending like ginormous, I mean, we, the initial idea was 60 foot by 60 foot wide and then 20 feet tall uh, autonomous vessels into the middle of the ocean to pull out like 2000 tons of waste per uh, trip. And they'd go out once a month and come in once a month and, um, yeah, just a, a very massive tool to try to solve the world's ocean plastics problem and was very passionate about this and also uh, dissatisfied with the current solutions that were out there. So um, 2017 was back when I started to ideate for Clean Earth Rovers. And then in 2019, at Xavier, there was an opportunity to participate in a pitch competition locally at uh, the university through the School of Bus Business. and. Clean Earth Rovers, I think it was a, a two minute pitch. Um, I got up there and gave my spiel and we ended up being chosen as one of three people to continue on in the competition. And at that point they started to urge us to, to take it uh, more seriously to add co-founders and, and whatnot. So um, that was when my co-founder David came into the picture. Um, he was also the same year as me at Xavier and a student in entrepreneur, sorry, entrepreneurship and management as well. Um, and I remember specifically choosing him as a co-founder because of uh, his experience and passion with the problem that we were trying to solve. And I knew from past conversations that it was something that he was um, very passionate about. And so that I think was important for us in the early stages and he's still a part of it today. So. Um, went from that to then uh, doing some work with the University of Cincinnati and uh, coming out of it, adding our entrepreneur and residence, Chris, to the team when uh, the idea then shifted from being like building massive robots to go into the middle of the ocean to starting small and finding the business need and, and the true case that people could actually use it. Um, and it was one of the best suggestions we had because it was completely transformative to our, our business model. And so 
Um, today, what it is, is, you know, we're focused specifically on pollution within coastal waterways, both uh, physical and man-made debris, but also chemical toxins that come from the agricultural industry. And what we do is we call it, we provide Roombas for coastal waterways or marinas and coastal businesses. Um, and as they skim for the trash and man-made debris, it's also monitoring the water quality data and giving you insights into the pollution and the toxins that you can't see. Um, and so that's what we've been working on now for the past, I want to say two years is that mission, um, pretty aligned and, and cutthroat on it. And 2023, we're basically ready to launch both products, our, our data monitoring device and our autonomous vessel for picking up that waste. So where's like the main application of your robot? Are you planning to send it out like into the deep ocean or in rivers like the Cincinnati or the Ohio River or what? Yeah, so it's particularly focused on going into places like marina facilities, ports, harbors, yacht clubs. Um, inner waterways, so lakes, rivers, um, you know, coastal oceans. We don't really see right now with the scale that we're operating of actually deploying these like we initially intended to into, you know, the broader ocean ecosystem. Um, but the reason for that is because there's actually a business need where these coastal cities and these uh, coastal businesses like marinas and harbors are the ones that are actually suffering the adverse effects of the pollution and having to clean it by hand, losing customers, getting fined. Um, and then we're also providing them, you know, with the tool to automate that, the tool to um, predict when those things are going to happen and come into the marina um, and, you know, giving them competitive advantages, right? When you look at the marina industry, um, really all that marinas are fancy parking spots for your boat. Uh, and it's hard to differentiate yourself. So using tools like this, this is a different way to speak to your customers and let them know that, uh, you care about sustainability or you're going the extra mile for them and doing what you can to keep your facility and your waterways pristine. Right. Right. That's interesting. I was going to mention like the parking lot concept, like most big parking lots I've been to can get pretty dirty um, mm -hmm. just because so much stuff collects there. There's a lot of people coming in and out. And so I like you thinking there of keep these like marinas clean and then we can protect the boats and the ships and whatnot, which will reduce the environmental um, and just resource cost of damage mm -hmm. to these, these vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that we're focused on. I mean, we've had, um, potential customers tell us that their boaters get, you know, plastic sucked up into their boat's intake or it wraps around their rudders and things that are actually damaging to the customer. But also, you know, we are just wanting to provide that increase in image as well, right? Like you want your water to be nice. You want to keep your, I don't know, million dollar boat in a place that takes care of itself, so.
So I'm sort of wondering what are the biggest challenges that you've uh, come across either from an entrepreneur perspective or maybe just a engineering or application perspective? That's a, a very packed question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think in the early days, right, especially as a student entrepreneur, like doing this in your undergrad, um, and you don't really have any real world professional experiences yet. And so everything that you're learning is stuff that you're either exposing yourself to for the very first time or just learning on the fly. Um, so I would say like one of the challenges for me and my co-founder in the early days was like understanding where to focus our time and, and how to like go about pushing forward and getting traction. Um, like I remember there were times where we were like trying to figure out how to get capital. And we thought, oh, like selling t-shirts and stuff is like gonna help us fundraise to get these in the water, um, which is not like a efficient use of time um, or you know, resources. And then, you know, other things as well, like uh, social media in the early days, like it's good to get exposure, but um, we just had, kind of scatterbrain approach to like just keep throwing spaghetti at the wall until it sticks and um as we continue to get integrated into the cincinnati startup ecosystem i think the pathway forward started to become more clear especially as we had other people coming in and telling us you know the types of materials and resources and things that we needed to to push forward and so I would say it wasn't until we got um, Jonathan, our chief technology officer on the team um, that we really were able to start pushing forward. Um, everything at that point was just concept and selling an idea. Um, and when he jumped in during the pandemic, um, you know, we were able to start working with him and he was able to start recruiting other engineers to come in and, you know, basically kick off a legitimate R&D process and not just, you know, drawings on graph paper. Um, <clears throat> so it was uh, all really a challenge, especially, like I said, really just navigating and like knowing what it is that you're supposed to be doing um, in those early days. And, uh, you know, you're just constantly learning too, like very quickly, what's a waste of your time and what's a good use of it. Um, so, yeah, and then I would say as well, like keeping the company capitalized or having to fundraise. We've been very fortunate that we have a good partnership with the University of Cincinnati. They've given us $130,000 of grant capital, um, which has been, you know, crucial or, and critical in us getting to the point that we're at now. Um, but then also like finding ways to use that money where every dollar counts and um, every dollar is going towards either some level of R&D or some sort of human capital that is pushing the technology forward. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's been lots of difficulties over the years, um, both with the company professionally, personally, uh, but we've always been, you know, having fun doing what we're doing. And we're, I think now, in an exciting spot more so than we have been ever. So I'm really looking forward to what these next like six to 12 months are gonna hold for us. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And I can't remember if it was a video or an image, but I saw something on like LinkedIn of your robot actually in action, which is really cool. You know, you've made it that far because building a robot is a huge challenge. Um, and so I'm curious, like what did the early days of your robot look like and how did it get to where it is now? Um, yeah, both really good questions. Um, so I, I remember, like, I, I had the idea for cleaner throwers, I think back in 2017, before my freshman year at Xavier, um, had started. And so in between that, like gap of, you know, graduating high school and starting my undergrad, I really made it a mission to try and build like a first prototype of what I wanted the technology to be. Um, and so my dad and I like tinkered away in the garage for quite some time working on it together. Um, and it was maybe like two days before I left for Xavier or the day before or something, we finally had it to a point that we wanted to put it in the pool and see how it worked. And, um, you know, it was a cool concept, but it didn't work at all. Um, and so it was like back to the drawing board with that. And, you know, in the early days, it was really just me like ideating different approaches or different ways that we could go about it. And so I think um, the next time we attempted to build a prototype was in 2019. Yeah, 2019 after um, we had participated in that pitch competition. Uh, you know, my co-founders and I thought that it would be worthwhile again over that summer for me to take, and I think the budget was like 300 bucks um, to buy materials and try to build another like minimum viable product or prototype. And um, amazingly, somehow we were able to build like this wooden framed monstrosity that had no propulsion, but also had... Um, a homemade conveyor belt system and like a solar panel that connected to a car battery and like something that you could just flick on and off. And um, that was like prototype number two that we were all excited about and like showed off to everybody like, here it is, it's in a pool, it's working and this is the concept, but imagine it, you know, 10 times bigger than what it currently is. and. Um, so that was a lot of fun to work on, but then, you know, we didn't really start building, like, I would say professional prototypes until, you know, after the pandemic struck. So 2020 was when we started actually doing some stuff with CAD and bringing in people to design the mechanical features and do so in a professional manner. And then, uh. I want to say 2021, it was like right after things had started to kind of open up again and COVID was like laxing out a little bit. Um, I remember we spent like $7,000 to get the materials for our first prototype in. Um, and that was just me and like another student engineer at the University of Cincinnati, like hammering away at it for a couple of months. And I think it wasn't until that summer that we actually put it in the water in Eden Park. And uh, we were pretty excited because it did work. I and mean, there's still obvious things that we needed to change with it. And I think over that summer, we ended up testing 
eight different um, collection and like waste trapping mechanisms. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just went through a lot of iterations once we actually had a team of engineers working on things with us. And, um, you know, at the start of 2022, <clears throat> we um, were able to bring in like a, a drone engineer, somebody who really knew their stuff with the autonomy, come in and make that commercially viable. And then also somebody to build entire systems and processes and QA standards and you know, really professional bill of materials and push it from the point that we were at with the prototype to something that we could actually give to a customer. Um, right, right. That's interesting. You know, I, I love to hear these stories because I'm personally like building a cloud robotics startup. So I like provide these tools to robotics companies and I interview with a lot of them. And like my main customers right now are like very early com companies, but not companies that are so early that they're just trying to put together, like literally just mash together random like electronics and things just to show that like it's possible to build something to do this task, which kind of like sounds like what you're describing at the very beginning there, just like hacking things together using like random little vehicles and electronics um, to put like an image in people's heads of what is possible. Um, so that's cool. But yeah, there does become a point where like you have to start engineering a product that you can actually take to customers. What's cool about like robotics though, and like going to investors and everything is that they don't put the same focus on achieving paying customers at these early stages as say like a SaaS startup. It's more about like technological goals. Um, like we're going to achieve this goal, um, technologically with this money, we're going to have like these hardware systems in place. We'll be able to handle like these certain situations and then that'll like justify the next round of funding and so on to where we can get something that we can really deploy in industry. It's just so hard to build these products and it's really yeah. costly. So my, my experience has actually been at least a little different with talking to investors is, um, I would say that the standard of like commercialization is almost higher um, because you have, like you said, like it's costly to build hardware prototypes and then get it to a point where you can commercialize it. And by that time, like it's still kind of a shot in the dark on whether anybody's actually like going to pay for it. And you have like a very fast scaling business. And so most of like the investors that we talk to, um, are really interested in like being commercially viable, getting out of prototyping and like in the hands of pilots, showing that you're generating revenue. Um, almost, I would say probably more so than like the typical SaaS software that you could approach them with an idea and almost immediately like get funded if it's semi-promising. Um, that's interesting. So I'm curious, yeah. like, do you specifically target investors and like venture capitalists who invest in hardware or have you kind of been like courting a wider audience? Yes and no. Like we court a wider audience. We definitely, of course, like look into um, VCs that are focused on hardware. Right. Like if it's not in their investment thesis and it's just kind of a waste of time to have that conversation, but 
also looking simultaneously uh, um, VCs that are in the clean tech and sustainability space. And I'd say we we almost put an emphasis on that more than we do on the hardware side of things. Uh, and there is a lot of overlap, uh, but I would say there probably isn't as much focus in their day-to-day -day and the pitches that they hear on like deep hardware technologies, um, like what we're building. So there, I mean, there's a mix, uh, but it's, it's a good balance between the clean tech and hardware focused people. Yeah. I feel like this is just like a huge challenge of balancing like commercialization and then building like a product that's really going to be feature complete and solve the problems that you're setting out to achieve, you know, like you can make these tiny iterations that solve smaller problems, but there's usually a bigger angle in mind. Um, yeah. But it does help prove that there's like a need for it in the market. If you can show these like just early like customer deals. Um, so I'm curious, what are like the, what's your vision for like the next year of your company? Um, where are you trying to take it? Are you trying to hire more people to begin engineering more of a, robust prototype or what no i mean we're we're at the point now where we have um you know a sellable product uh where like we we have our first commercially viable prototype i would say it's with our first customer um we've had lots of really great learning come from that but now i'd say we're at like v2 v3 of um that production readiness and so Pushing into 2023, we've already got um, two more that are complete. So one's actually leaving next week for Florida. Um, and then the next one I think is gonna come out here to me in California where I can showcase it and do demonstrations and things like that. But- Nice, I mean, sorry to interrupt. Did you build like a remote controlled robot as your initial prototype that you're showing investors and customers or is it does it have any like autonomous capabilities? The first prototype or the first version of the prototype that we had was remote controlled. And then, and we've had autonomous capabilities now for, I want to say six months, maybe five months. Um, so we've really had to iterate on it and continue to fine tune it. Like our customer in San Francisco theirs has the ability to be autonomous and use waypoint navigation and whatnot. Um, but we've had it with them for two months now and we have not enabled those features yet uh, just because we want to make sure that they really understand one, uh, the manual controls and how the system actually works. And then two, like then moving into the autonomous operations and getting the feedback there. And I think, um, you know, it is important with a product like this that we do find a good balance of that where customers really understand both because um, from a safety perspective, right? Like you just never know what could happen or when you have to switch out of autonomy and into handheld operations. And um, if you don't understand that first, then, you know, it, it doesn't put you in a good position if there is an emergency or there is ever a scenario that you do have to switch out. Um, so yeah i mean we've been working with the autonomy um been doing a lot of fine tuning to it as well over time um 
weird stuff with supply chains that have been going on. I know it affects everybody, but that's also been like constant iteration for us as well as like sourcing different parts or components that are critical with autonomy and just constantly making it better. Yeah. So what's like the complexity of the autonomous capabilities that you support right now? Like, is it, you know, you mentioned like a Roomba, does it just like go around randomly and just collect trash and like chemical waste all day? Or does it um, follow some sort of like predefined route that you guys set based off yeah. of? Okay. That's what so we, we use um, a cloud-based autonomous system for our ground control software. Um, and basically what we do is we provide the map of the marina facility and they go in and they set their waypoint navigations and we call it the cleaning zones. They can schedule those zones to operate at different times, or, um, you know, be active or inactive, whatever that might be. Um, but yeah, it, it follows a set of waypoints uh, that overlap each other so that it covers the most ground. Um, whereas like I actually, we just got a Roomba on Black Friday and it's not the one that maps your house. It's like the older version that randomly like bumps into things and just continues to go every which way. And I, I get very frustrated with it. So I'm happy that we didn't take that I guess it'd be slam approach to things. But. Yeah, yeah. I like your approach there. And like the marina is not going to change. So, I mean, they might restructure it here and there, but like how frequently does that actually happen? So it makes sense to just be able to like supply a map um, that simplifies yeah. the problem a little bit for you guys. So that's cool. Um, how does it actually like store the trash that it collects? Cause it didn't look very large in the video that I saw. Yeah. So it pushes the bat or sorry, the trash into a mesh bag system. Um, so we don't use like a rigid frame or like canister or anything like that. Um, and part of the reason for that decision is like customer user experience in mind uh, where you know, we, we've seen some other competitors in the space, primarily in Europe, Hong Kong, South Africa, um, that all have different levels of approach. And we really think that this is like the best from user experience standpoint, where as the device covers its waypoints or, you know, you drive it with the controller, um, it's using that forward momentum to funnel trash into the bag system. And, um, once that bag is full, you're able to use a you know, simple hinging arm mechanism that raises and lowers it out of the water. And so that keeps us from needing to add any like bulky hardware add-ons to the marina facility itself. And um, it allows the customer to empty the device in five minutes or less. Uh, so it's a very seamless process. And then those bags, um, you know, they're reusable like we we say you could probably get five to ten uses out of them um but when we were doing this on a uh, like indefinitely reusable bag system we found that if you get micro punctures in the mesh or um, if you leave it in the water for too long then like algae and gunk starts to grow inside of it uh, so we actually think it's better for the how, how big is a single bag 
Um, a single. Oh, just lost you there. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can now. Sorry, my uh, headphones died. Um, a single, single bag can hold a hundred pounds of debris. Which, wow. Um, we actually had a bag that was designed to hold more. Um, and after collecting it and like filling it to the brim, we learned very quickly that the more is not necessarily a good thing from a, a handler experience. Cause you're, you're really, you're, you're bent over on the dock. You're kind of like leaning over water, trying to hoist it out. And there's a good chance that the weight that we're operating at like we're trying to minimize the risk to people falling in or throwing their back out or something like that and so you know if you're collecting really dense debris like algae and sticks and dead fish and stuff then yeah you might hit that 100 pound limit but if you're just collecting plastics and like smaller materials that's high in volume and low in weight. So you might still fill up that bag and it may only be 20 pounds uh, versus hundred pounds. Um, right. Um, and does that bag, since it's just kind of like floating in the back, does it ever get caught on stuff? Cause I imagine there's like a lot of activity in the Marina um, that could like get it attached to something. And it actually, um, the length of it doesn't, like protrude past the end of the vessel. And um, the only issue that we really had during R&D was seeing the bag get like caught in the thrusters. And so that caused us to like redesign our thruster mount system and, and how we actually went about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the bag floats on the surface primarily and as it fills up, it weighs itself down a little bit more. But uh, we haven't had any issue of it getting caught on like foreign objects throughout the marina. So that's interesting. Wait, so maybe like I just had the image wrong in my head, but if you're able to like completely surround the bag with your vessel, is it like underwater and you're like shoving the trash down into there? Because like some of that trash is going to float up, right? Yeah, so it, the bag floats, um, and the the tr the opening of that bag is above the water as well. So the I think it goes like six inches below the waterline, and then the remainder of it is, you know, outside of the water. Um, and so you know, some of that bag, you look at it, it, it from the side and. Um, it's like angled or, or sloping downwards like that as you get towards the back of the bag. Um, so some of it is like hanging outside of the water and then the rest of it is just sitting on the surface. I see. Yeah. Interesting. And so another thing I want to like touch on too is I think the uh, monitoring that you were talking about was pretty cool. Like being able to like test like the water quality and whatnot. Because I imagine that you probably have like people who park their boats and they aren't as respectful as others and they might like dump things in the water and whatnot. So does it, does it like allow you to identify like the location that like bad chemicals are entering the water and identify the source? 
Um, yeah, if you get enough of the devices, so this is what um, that monitoring system looks like. We call it the data pod. And it basically is a modular device. So all of these are equipped on the robot. And then we, you know, we know that we're gonna get customer interest for people that are only interested in data where, sorry about that. Um, we know we're only gonna get customer interest from people that are only interested in data, not having a robot with it. Um, so this is its own like standalone buoy monitoring system. And if you get enough widespread coverage with these, uh, then yes, you are able to trace like certain pollutants back to its source. So I don't know, for instance, if you have a farm that is upstream of a river and all of their agricultural runoff is just pouring pesticides and fertilizer into that river, um, you would be able to, you know, with enough of these up and down that stream, isolate where that problem is coming from. Um, and so, you know, part of this is we want people to start building widespread coastal monitoring and data coverage where, you know, you look at your phone or the weather app that you have or use, you're able to see the air quality index for just about any location on earth. Um, you cannot do the same for nearshore coastal monitoring uh, for any body of water that you may about to jump be about to jump into, um, and so that poses a huge risk to public health and safety. Where you know even these marinas, if there's red tide or blue green algae present, and their customers are out on the dock. Um, they could be breathing in those toxins and not even know it and being put in harm's way. And so by providing, you know, tools that one, create that data infrastructure and that widespread coverage, um, not only are we able to act as an early stage monitoring and warning system for these pollution events, um, we're also adding a very valuable tool to public health and safety where we're potentially keeping people out of the water with exposure to harmful algal blooms or different bacterias that, um, you know, could be very, very harmful. Uh, yeah, so, so that's the idea there is, as we not only get more of the robots in the water, we're building that data infrastructure, but then as we continue to talk with municipalities and, and other groups uh, we're building that data infrastructure as well so. right so something that i thought was interesting there was like when you were talking about just like general like pollutants being out in the water and being able to trace it back to say like a farm that's dumping pesticides in absurd quantities um it kind of sounds like you almost have two different sets of customers then like governments might want to pay for this like say like boston to monitor their harbor, mm -hmm. uh, they could like deploy them out in like just the general area. And then you're gonna have like a marina that's more of like a private entity that's gonna have like their trash cleaned up around and also just monitor for like algae and whatnot, like you were describing there. Is that right? Yeah, they're, they're definitely two different segments, um, but there are, you know, the reason we're doing it is because there's mutual and overlapping areas of interest. So when we were doing uh, 
customer discovery for the robot, we kept hearing from Marina is like, oh yeah, and every once in a while the city will ask us if we are monitoring the water quality or, or things like that. And so when we started to talk to municipalities and um, other groups, it became clear very quickly that there is a lack, a very extreme lack of water quality data. Um, and there's also a need for it. And part of the reason that we haven't been able to build that infrastructure is because it's so costly to do so. Like right now, um, even the handheld sensors that people are using to walk down to the waterfront and manually take it are about 30 times more expensive than our buoy. So like we've been able to come up with something that is high quality from a data perspective, but also very um, scalable from an infrastructure perspective. So yeah, like municipalities, research institutions, other places that are interested, like homeowners associations as well, um, to help us come in and, and scale that data and boost public health and safety. Right. So this just like popped in my head. I was at like a computer vision conference like a month ago and somebody was like demoing this like system that they had that could count fish in the water, which is kind of cool. So do you guys like have any goals of maybe adding on more sensors than just like water quality, like cameras? So that way you can see like what sorts of animals are actually like living in the water and kind of keep tabs on them. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have actually, you know, within the past couple of weeks, just started talking about different opportunities for more robust data sets, um, especially on the autonomous vessels. So, like one of our pilot customers, they're interested in getting a set of the buoys out to them. And then also one of our, you know, autonomous robots and they don't want the robot to clean up trash. They want the robot so they can add more of their like higher level sensors to it. So that when the buoys report something anomalous, uh, they can send the autonomous vessel to check it out with more robust data sets. And so like we're seeing opportunities there. Um, we've been talking as well about like, uh, building infrastructure around, uh, like marine mammal migration movements and things like that to help protect those animals, like adding hydrophones and different things to the the robot itself so that, like I said, you, people can keep track of that and start building more robust data sets around things that aren't just like generic water quality data, but things that are more specific. Um, and so we're realizing that Yes, we also have like this autonomous robot that picks up trash, but it can be repurposed and used very easily to do other things. So. Right. That's really cool. Like how many different applications you could potentially extend this to. Like you're just building the base level infrastructure for like some sort of water monitoring. And now you can do all sorts of data collection with it. Right. right. And I, I don't know that that was even really something that we thought about when we, like, we just kind of stumbled into it, um, which is kind of funny as a startup to do, but yeah. Well, that sounds really awesome. Uh, 
we appreciate you uh, answering our questions. Uh, we're just wondering, do you have any advice for uh, entrepreneurs or people that just want to help keep the ocean clean? Um, yeah, well, I guess two points there. Like people that are passionate about ocean health and sustainability, uh, just be very conscious of your plastic consumption and, and where that is in your life and avoid it. Um, lots of simple changes that can cut out your plastic footprint and help you live more sustainably. They're pretty easy to make. Um, another thing, I guess, for entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs is like whether you're in your 30s or in your undergrad, like use the resources that are available to you. Like go to the SBA, go to um, the local incubators or accelerators that are in your area connect with other founders, find mentors, like ask for help. Um, because I think that people who have experienced what you're about to set out to do are gonna be critical in guiding you to really focus your time into the things that matter, especially in the early stage um, and, and help you pull stuff together that you know you may just not know is expected or know to do without that. Um, previous experience doing so so use use the resources around you and ask for help